And open your Bibles, please, to Psalm 122, Psalm 122, verse 1. We're in a series on timeless questions from the psalm. Today we're asking, why the joy? Tonight at 6.30, we'll come back together uh, for worship. We'll be looking at the last part of Luke 4, 14 through 30. We started last week. We're looking at what the ministry of Jesus was like uh, as he began that ministry. But this morning, Psalm 122, verse 1, and this is the word of God. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that's bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. And join me. The grass withers. The flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to you for your word, your truth that stands. So, Father, this morning as we look at this psalm, we ask for your spirit's help to grasp what you're teaching us. And, Father, how we can apply it uh, day by day to our lives. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I boarded my last flight in Frankfurt, Germany. An hour or so, I'd be landing in Croatia, the land my family had left a hundred years before, Uh, an old land that had known difficult times, particularly under communism in the 20th century, but also for centuries. Now they were finally free, and I had great anticipation. Look forward to walking the same streets my ancestors walked, seeing the same buildings, smelling the same uh, foods, Finally, with great joy, I stood in the city square in the middle, soaking up the sights, the sounds, the smells, the emotions. And maybe you've had a similar experience of anticipation and then reality. A beach trip. You had a long drive, and finally you got there, and your barefoot toes touched the sand, and you began to survey things. And you saw the waves and felt the sun and the wind uh, and so much more. Or maybe you've been to something like the Grand Canyon. Uh, and you, you remember the anticipation, and then the awe when you were finally standing on the edge and looking down into the vastness of God's great creation. Well, that's what the worshiper who's headed to Jerusalem feels in Psalm 122 as he or she stands with joy, taking in all the sights of the city of David. You know, we had that same sort of anticipation 27 years ago this month. It was 1994, November. We'd prayed for years. We'd planned for years. And we stood in this building as a church for the first time to worship God. And I suspect there's similar feelings today after being downstairs. Uh, We finally stand here together in this room as the church with great joy. For the first time since March 8th of 2020. And we're overwhelmed with God's faithfulness, God's provision over that time. 
So why the joy? And what's it mean? Let's go to the text and see. First, just the joy of Jerusalem, verses 1 and 2. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. We saw a couple weeks ago in Psalm 121 that they were on a pilgrim's journey. They were headed to to worship in Jerusalem, and it was a a fearsome way to go up into the hills. And they asked the question about the dangerous journey. They said, where does my help come from for this journey? It was my first time on an airplane. I was 17. I was flying alone to Washington, D.C., a place I'd been to as a small child. Uh, And flying was a bit uncertain. I admit I thought the plane was crashing. Uh, As it was going down, all I could see was the river. But it turned out we were just landing. Uh, and, uh, uh, but this, uh, this boy from West Virginia's eyes grew wide when he saw again the Washington Monument and the Capitol and the, and the Lincoln and Jefferson Memorials. Because I was really here. I was in the most important city on the face of the earth. And so as the pilgrim arrives in Jerusalem, suddenly sees it all. They see the city wall and the gates the temple, the palace, the crowds. And indeed, Jerusalem was the most important city on the face of the earth. It was the city of God. It was the symbolic dwelling place of God on earth where the Shekinah glory dwelt in the house of the Lord, in the temple. Uh, And so uh, Eugene Peters reminds us, and by the way, very helpful in, in thinking through this chapter. In Jerusalem, everything that, that God said was remembered. Everything that God said was celebrated. See, when you went to Jerusalem, you, you encountered the great foundational realities of life. God created you. God redeems you. God sustains you. In Jerusalem, you saw in ritual and heard and proclaimed in preaching the powerful history-shaping truth that God forgives our sins. God makes it possible to live without guilt and with purpose. In Jerusalem is where truth and and feeling came together as a a single whole. Uh, I can state unequivocally that the greatest joy in life is worship. The greatest privilege in life is worship. Worship is the single most important act of human existence. Worship declares that God is our greatest treasure and nothing else comes close. Worship is the body of Christ worshiping the head, Jesus himself. And the trouble is, in many ways, we've turned worship on end. Uh, We think we're the center of the universe. Most human beings believe we get to decide what's true. We focus on individualism. But as Derek Thomas suggests, there's a a corporate identity to the people of God. And there's something deeply significant about us gathering together uh, as the Lord's people, as the body of Christ, guided by the truth of God's word. It was one of John Owen's assistants, David Clarkson, who wrote an article, public worship is to be preferred over private worship. By the way, did you know that, that worshiping in church is the, uh, on Sunday is the single most popular act that Americans engage in? 
50 million people or so worship every Sunday. Uh, That's more than go to football games, more than go to anything else. Uh, Worship is the foremost uh, activity, uh, the foremost joy in the city of Jerusalem. And the second point that David makes is that Jerusalem is the people of God. Verse 3, Jerusalem built as a city that's bound firmly together to which the tribes go up. The tribes of the Lord it was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. We've established that Jerusalem was no ordinary city, nor is Jerusalem today, which is the church, Zion, the city of God. Uh, The old city of Jerusalem was a blueprint for the heavenly Jerusalem, the church, that will one day be the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven. The Old Testament tabernacle was the blueprint for the city of Jerusalem. Those words firmly bound together, bound firmly together, really come from Exodus 26, where construction of the temple is going on, tabernacle rather, is being discussed. And those words bound firmly together are translated as, this way, as one whole. And if we translate it that way here, we would say Jerusalem, built as a city that is a single whole. Friends, that's the metaphor for the church. Everything is, comes together. It's compactly built. It's skillfully built. Miles Coverdale, whom you'll recall did the first complete translation of the Bible into English in 1535, translated it this way, at unity with itself. Uh, That's the church. We're one body. We're God's covenant people. There is unity in the body of Christ. Not uniformity. We're not all alike. But there's unity. There's diversity. We're from all different tribes and nations. Notice here that the tribes of Israel referred to. The tribes of Israel were distinct. If you don't think that, go back and reread what Jacob says in in Genesis 49. Watch how they behaved as a people over time. They lived in different areas of Jerusalem, but they finally, or rather of Israel, but they finally united under one king, David, much as the several states here in our nation came together as the United States as one nation. Friends, that's the church. The glory is in the diversity and the unity. Uh, We come each week from different places. We come together with different experiences. Uh, But again, to to paraphrase Peterson, we're, we're here after the same things. We say the same things as we worship. We sing the same songs together. We pray the same prayers together. Despite different levels of education, despite differences in wealth, uh, uh, despite despite different hometowns, maybe even different language, as the church, our worship unites us together in a single whole. And the task that's given when we come is to give thanks. I mean, that was the object of the feast we shared this past Thursday. That's one of the aspects of the Lord's Supper that we celebrated last Sunday. Uh, and, and the thing to note here, it's not optional. He says it's a, mandate, it's a command decreed 
by God. We are to worship Him. We are to give Him thanks. And though we stumble and fall, God's amazing grace still allows us week by week to come together, to come into His presence with thanksgiving in our hearts of forgiven people and giving praise. I mean, make a note of something. This is not optional, as it says. So perhaps on a, on a given Sunday, we don't feel like worship. But what should we do if we don't feel like worship? Let's face it, we live in an age of feelings. I would sing nothing more than feelings, but I won't. Um, uh, as Peterson suggests, we think if we do not feel something, then, well, we shouldn't do it because it just wouldn't be authentic if we didn't feel it when we did it. Um, uh, and then he continues with this insight. He says, worship is an act that develops feelings for God. It's not a feeling for God that's expressed in worship. For example, let's say, let's say you didn't feel like worship when you came today. But as we sang before the throne of God, uh, before Jehovah's awesome throne, as we, as we sang in Christ alone and, and we rehearsed in that hymn the, the great works of our God, His loving character. You see, that's what leads to feelings for God. Uh, that's what leads to an emotional response. And so we should worship. Yes, we worship with our emotions, but we worship with our minds as well. Worship is about giving glory to God with all our mind and with all our heart for who he is and for all that he's done for us in Jesus Christ, all he promises to be. It's not just about how we feel about God. David says that Jerusalem is a place for judgment. People come to Jerusalem for the wise judgment when it comes to their lives. Jerusalem is a place where God's word was taken and applied to all the difficulties and challenges of life, the conflicts. Jerusalem was the place to receive wise counsel from God's word. First, I'm going to remind you, the word of God is the center of our worship. It's why we have a pulpit. It's here to draw attention to the Bible, to the word of God. Uh, and then we place the pulpit in the center of the front to show that it's central, that's significant. We begin the worship with a call to worship, which is a declaration from God's word. We end worship with a benediction, a proclamation of God's word. And in between, we read the Bible from God's word. The sermon explains God's word. The hymns should as well consistently declare and rehearse for us the word of God. As we worship, our minds are informed our memories are refreshed. We become familiar with God and with God's ways. And again, this is why, though private worship, hear me now, it's good and it's necessary. All right, I'm not, not downplaying private worship. It's a necessary thing. We ought to be doing that. Public worship is better. As Peterson reminds us, if we stay at home by ourselves and, and read the Bible, uh, we'll get something. Uh, perhaps, but we miss a lot. We miss being with a congregation as they, uh, as they hear together the writers of Scripture. Uh, we miss the, the praying with other people, the same prayers. We miss singing together 
as we use that music to express these truths about God uh, that move our hearts and minds. And then hopefully a preacher who has, for the last six days, lived through the same questions and challenges, the same fears, same doubts, the same hurts, same blessings, the same joys as each one of you. Uh, proclaims how God's word applies right now, today. Tells us how we should view yesterday and how we can anticipate tomorrow. Corporate worship is the best place to hear what God says. This is why we have a Sunday evening worship service, by the way. Calvin and the Puritans thought we needed as many opportunities as possible to hear the word of God collectively as God's people. These thrones of judgment are also symbolic of the final judgment and the great assurance we have that one day, one day, all will be well. There's a lot of heartbreak today. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of frustration. I suggest that's primarily because people somehow think they have just one shot at happiness and it's right now and they've got to go for it. But that's where God's word comes in. It gives us perspective. Not just about today, but about tomorrow, about history. Weekly worship gives us a a structure for our lives that are lived out in a very chaotic storm. I've been blessed my whole life by the church, giving structure to my life. Worshiping God's word surrounding me through faithful preachers and teachers. Learning to respond to God, to his word, through the great hymns of the church. Uh, People to fellowship with people to encourage me, people to pray with. See, it's the church. It's the church that worships God. The past joys, past heartaches, they're put into perspective. The march of time, the generations passing on are remembered. And again, the future promises of God are anticipated. Which leads us to our view of Jerusalem, verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls, security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be with you, within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. So those verses are about praying that we will enjoy what God has given to us in Jesus Christ and in Jerusalem. Jerusalem means the king of peace. Sounds like the word for the city of peace. That's what I pray for first of all. Peace. Peace that's within. We want people to know the peace that passes all human understanding. The word for peace here is shalom. It's a a general well-being. It's what centers around the great benediction. What? That Aaron was to give to the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord have his countenance upon you and give you peace. Essentially, the word here for pray is not the usual word that the Hebrew would use for that. It's actually the word for ask. Uh, And some scholars suggest that that would lead us to think of a transition from a corporate worship of the church uh, to the church scattering into the world as we leave. Uh, This final section encourages us to pray for one another as we go out into the world tomorrow whether it's into school or the marketplace or wherever we go, uh, into a challenging and difficult world where we need the peace and the strength that we gain from corporate worship. And we need to pray for the whole church body. 
Tim Chalmers observed that God asks us to live in a chaotic uh, and tumultuous world, but we have, uh, but to have hearts that are peaceful and calm. Having found peace with God, he wants us to have peace with others. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way, Paul said. And that's no small challenge, challenge suggests, because every day we encounter situations that threaten to rob us of our peace. Context in which the uproar around us threatens to bring uproar within us. We see people behaving badly and, well, we have the urge to respond, perhaps, in kind. People turn on us and we think about retaliation. We grieve, we suffer, we face trial, perhaps persecution. And we have the temptation to be despondent, to have despair or discord. And that's why we we pray. We pray for the peace of God to take hold of us. And no, David prays for security. And the root meaning of that word is actually the word here for leisure, to be at rest. We can rest because we're depending on God. Remember, he's the God who stays up all night watching over him, Psalm 121 tells us. Now, there's a lot of arguing over history today, but we're blessed. We have a view of history where the cross of Jesus Christ is the central point of history. That cross begins with the eternal love of God. It leads to the incarnation that we're about to celebrate. And that leads to the cross and then to the resurrection. So because of the cross, we're at peace with God. Because of the resurrection, we are secure. No guilt in life. No fear in death. This is the power of the crucified, risen Christ in me. And you notice three times he used the word within. As we suggested, God has us tightly together as the body of Christ. Uh, What God's looking for there is, is, quite frankly, our love for the church. The church is not a peripheral thing. It's not trivial. Uh, The church is not something we do once a week. The church is what we are. The world sees the church as unimportant. The world doesn't understand that there's a connection between being the church and daily life. Oh, they don't mind us doing what we do here on Sunday mornings as long as we do it in a corner and we leave them alone. But the church is the bride of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. Man, if I were to say to one of you, I really like you, I cannot stand your wife. Why, she's picky. She's complainified. She's always messing things up. You know, she always looks pretty disheveled. Doesn't she embarrass you from time to time? I mean, I really like you, but your wife? Come on, man. Now, we would never say that, and I trust we would never think it, all right? Um, But friends, the church is the bride of Christ. No, the church is not perfect. We look disheveled. But we're the bride of Christ. And as his bride, we says we are to seek the good of the bride. True love doesn't focus on flaws. 
but seeks out the best. We resolve to seek the church's good. And so what is that good? It's, it's to be a blessing to the covenant community here, to one another, as we equip one another so that Christ is formed in us. We become like Him. And then we go out and we live our lives in the neighborhood and across northeast Georgia and among the nations so that men and women and girls and boys come to know Jesus for the glory of God. You know, God was on the move in Jerusalem. God's Spirit was at work. And today we're that city. We are that church. What Jerusalem was to the Israelites, the church is to us. What John Knox said about the church of Scotland is what we can say about the church today. This is the church of our fathers and mothers. This is the church of the apostles, the church of the prophets. It's the church of Moses, the church of Abraham and Sarah and Adam and Eve. And we are to be that shining light that's set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And as we gather and celebrate as God's people the glory of God, We pray that first we and then others will know the peace, the security that come from knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And we pray that God will use us. We pray that God will use this ragtag gathering of his church in this rather modest colonial building sitting on a rather unknown obscure hilltop to be a place from which the light of Jesus shines brightly in this community across northeast Georgia and around the world. Friends, let me just remind you, it's what David Dixon, an old Puritan, said. No one can pray for the church heartily, passionately, unless they love her, unless they love the church. Do we love the church? So what about us? First, I must ask you, are you part of the church? Because of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Is your hope in Christ alone? Are you trusting him as your savior from your sins. Which separate us from God. If not please allow me to talk with you following the service today. For those of us who are believers. This psalm prefigures our ultimate journey. And our arrival in the heavenly or the new Jerusalem. Jesus himself is the cornerstone. He's the solid rock who holds us firmly. Through the fiercest doubts and storms of life. So we arrive safely home. And Jude 23 and 24 that we mentioned a couple weeks ago captures the essence of that arrival. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling in this life, but then to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. The only God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now, and forever. See, one day our eyes will see Jesus. We shall behold him. We'll be in that new Jerusalem. and We'll be with all the saints who've gone on before us. What a sight that will be. I'm going to borrow a little bit of something Lincoln Duncan said. Uh, the sight of Jerusalem, as it was in David's day, actually it was before the temple was built. It was before the palace was built. But David still was moved by Jerusalem, by what went on there, to to write this great psalm. And if the sight of today's marred, disheveled church still moves us to such passion, 
I wonder what will happen. What's it going to be like when we see the bride of Christ for the first time? The church triumphant. You know, we just might explode with joy. So why joy today? Well, somebody said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. That's where the joy is. There's joy that our feet are standing here today together, not in a building, but in the church, in and among the people of God in whom the glory of God dwells. And may I say very lovingly, if we do not enjoy worshiping God with the church today, we might not find much joy in heaven. Go back to our hymn of praise. We'll crowd your gates with thankful songs, high as the heavens our voices raise. And earth with her ten thousand tongues shall fill your courts with sounding praise. That's now. That's our privilege now. Today, all over the world, the people of God gather together and lift up their voices together, filling heaven. And then one day, when rolling years shall cease to move, we'll know the reality of standing before Jehovah's awesome throne. Our eyes fixed on the Lamb of God. Our hearts and our minds engaged in worship. Our final hymn celebrates being the church, the people of God. And the last stanza uh, we're going to sing goes like this. Savior, if of Zion's city, I by grace a member am. Let the world deride or pity. I will glory in thy name. Fading is the worldling's pleasures, all his boasted pomp and show. Solid joys and lasting treasures, none but Zion's children know. Let's pray. Father, Glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Father, what a privilege it is to be the people of God who come together in this building that's set apart where we can come and worship you, the living God, as the church. So, Father, it's, it's great joy we have to be here today. Father, we are grateful for those who have gone before us. We anticipate, Father, the day when either we are uh, we pass on and we go to the church triumphant in heaven. Or, Father, should Jesus come again soon, Father, perhaps the new Jerusalem will come down and we'll be with the church triumphant here on the new heavens and the new earth. Father, we anticipate that. We look forward to that. And so, Father, we thank you. And we pray that your word will shape our lives, will shape our thoughts, will shape our worship, will shape our relationships will shape our prayers, will shape what we sing, so that, Father, it's your word that points us to you. Lord, if somebody's here today and is not trusting in Christ, Lord, show them what they're missing. and Show them Jesus Christ. Show them his cross. Show them his love.
Show them his resurrection, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.